Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for being here and for this screening of Marjorie Prime. I'm Matt Wolf. I'm actually a theater critic for the International Edition of the New York Times, although I love movies. And I had the great good fortune of seeing this play off-Broadway, where it was performed several years ago, with, of course, Lois in the same role, which you've just seen her in on screen. And it's beyond uh, pleasurable to introduce Lois to all of you as an actress I've admired on stage. You, of course, have admired her on screen, going back to East of Eden, Five Easy Pieces, and so on. And she's still working in the theater, has several projects coming up, doing television, film, what have you. So we're going to talk for about 20 minutes, and then we'll throw it open to questions from the audience. So if you have some questions, please be thinking about them. And many thanks, uh, Lois, to being with us, for being with us. Ah, my pleasure. Thank you. What did you think of the material itself when you first got it in L.A.? What Mad about it. I yeah. loved it. I was so excited about this new play when I first read it. Um, and I still feel that way. I love it. Uh, did your feeling about it sort of evolve? Have your thoughts changed as you've lived with this character for the better part of two or three years? Oh, it's four years, actually. Four years now. Since I was now. first given wow. it, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, has it ch changed? Well, um... Yes, I guess there has to be change from close acquaintance and experience with it, but I always thought she loved life and that that was part of how she proceeded in this most interesting situation. Um, Did the premise of it take you by surprise? Was oh, surprise. Wrap your surprise mind around it? Surprise is one of the main things. I love surprise when I'm watching or performing in something, and uh, you, you just, they don't stop in this. It, it, it starts with surprise. It starts with, where can we be? What can be happening here? And then it unfolds, and uh, I find it full of surprise. Your career remarkably seems to defy the belief that we're always told, certainly, in the theater that there are fewer roles for people, particularly women, as they get older. You seem to be working more productively than ever. Tell I've us been that. so fortunate. Why I am the exception to the rule, I don't know, but I'm very fortunate. Yes, I, I certainly have heard the stories that the older you get, the less roles and the less interesting, and that hasn't been, that hasn't been my story. So I'm very lucky and grateful. Did Jordan write this play for you? I mean, did you and he kind of discuss it during the writing, or did it? I didn't know Jordan until part? until after I had read the play. Mm -hmm. uh, my understanding is that by the time he finished it, he was thinking of me for it. But no, I wouldn't say it was written for me. I I think it has to do partly from something in his family and and from his investigations and interest in uh, well, not so much in in. Uh, artificial intelligence, but in the, in the possible, well, he showed, he, sh he tells us in the play what he's thinking about, but, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the theater to begin with? Because so much of your early career, of course, with Bob Rafelson and Five Easy Pieces, East of Eden, these major iconic films, and yet you keep returning to the theater. Was theater always the first love, or how did it work? Always the first love, and mm -hmm. how I started. Well, I started a long time ago, so I think that probably was true of 
pretty much every actor who began to aim at or train to be an actor, uh, the theater was still very uh, um, royal <laughs> in, in, in a way. Uh, and pervasive. There was still a lot of theater, in, certainly in New York. There were a lot of stock companies, I think, and there were a lot of touring plays. Uh, I didn't know theater much as, as I was growing up. My father put plays on in the church that he belonged to, and as I was not much more than a toddler, I followed him to um, rehearsals. Um, clearly, that's where it started. And then I just did what I could do. I was proceeded through life and school. And the, at, I went to the University of Washington School of Drama in the late 40s, which was a remarkable place to train at that point. And uh, then it just it got more and more serious, important to me, as still is. <laughs> was there a moment, though, where you thought, I've got to do the pilgrimage to New York, that New York was kind of Mecca? Well, I, yes, that's where I wanted to go, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and did, yeah. And then when Hollywood came with Rafelson and so on, was that an attraction, or you just continued to juggle the two? Uh, I always lived in New York. I'd never lived in Los Angeles. My first film was East of Eden, and I went there to do that. Uh, that I guess the first time I worked in Los Angeles, yeah. And then after, what happened after Father's Day Peace? It's such an iconic film. Did that make a difference for you? Everything makes a difference, but did it make a difference in aha, an aha moment? No. <laughs> I remember talking to a, a young actor that I worked with playing his mother. It was sometime later than that, and his sense was, ha, this is it. I've got this part from now on. And I worried mm. for him. I wanted to say, mm, may maybe not, you know, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't think I felt that way. How did I, how was I so wise, so young, but... Mm. Uh, I've been very fortunate, and I was fortunate to be able to start working right away in plays, films, television. There was lots of it in New York when I started, lots of television live at the beginning, uh, lots of plays in New York. Um, it might be interesting, since this is a London audience, for you to say a little bit about your experience working at the National Theatre, because that's not something most American actors get to do. Oh. And Lois was at the National some years ago in a production of uh, The Grapes of Wrath that was done here before it went to Broadway. It started at Steppenwolf. Mm -hmm. I'm a member of the Steppenwolf Company. I wasn't actually then. The Grapes of Wrath was my first work with the Steppenwolf Company, and they didn't have a Ma Joad, and uh, I got to be it. Uh, and I became a member of the company a few years later. We did it at Steppenwolf, and uh, it was still uh, it was still evolving. We were working hard on it all through that run. Um, there were changes being made and changes to be made. Frank Galati, who adapted it and directed it, still knew that there were things to change, and there was talk about moving it further. But and then we got invited to the uh, international festival that took place in London at the National, but we couldn't say yes because it wasn't ready. But we did then, there was about mm, maybe nine months between the Steppenwolf production and the next one, we went back to Chicago, rehearsed it fully all over again, 
basically the same cast, but real, some real changes, changes in how the music was used, changes in the text, and just more work. And um, we took it to La Jolla and opened the season there and kept working on it and worked things that had never worked. Things I can re remember more than in any production I've ever been, things where you just, how did you make this work? How to get us all wet and moved upstage between the between the boxcars and the barn, and it nothing worked. And finally, one day in uh, rehearsal in La Jolla, after we were already playing it, we played there about six weeks, and we solved it. Oh, I remember somebody's friend came to see it one night and said, "You know." Uh, uh, I always wondered why they left the boxcars. The boxcars were so comfortable. And I remember sitting around a table in a little restaurant afterwards talking to Gary Sinise, who was playing Tom Joad, and Sally Murphy, who was playing Rosa Sharon, saying, oh my God, the boxcars are so comfortable. We'd all been carrying a copy of the book around with us. <laughs> and, uh, we knew the boxcars weren't comfortable. so. Actually, it was late at night. Gary ran to the phone to call Frank Galati. And the next day, we found a way to put giant swimming pools in the wings um, uh, as the narrators took over. Uh, Rosa Sharon and I ran to our separate wings, immersed ourselves in every bit of comfort from the boxcars was taken away. There, uh, uh, it was one of those things when your friend says, Gee, I wondered about this, <laughs> and it, it solved a problem. And I felt that we solved the play, the problems, when in the La Jolla production, and we went right from there to London. And working at the National, I was, I was telling Matt about this. <laughs> so often in New York, you know, you're five stories underground, and um, we came to the National, and I thought, I have a bed to lie down in, I have a telephone, um, there is warm food available night and day when you need it. Uh, there's fresh air, there's windows. I thought, oh, they really know how to do it. <laughs> We're jealous. Yeah. Well, with that mind, was it hard going from the set of Marjorie Prime with trailers and amenities and whatever to Plaris? Are you serious? Trailers and amenities? You have no idea how Marjorie Prime was shot. Tell us. Not that it wasn't pleasant, but there were certainly no trailers. There, uh, Very few amenities? We, well, we were, staling, uh, we were staying at, in Montauk, which is the city way at the end of, of Long Island, a long, long island that extends into the ocean from New York City. And um, Amagansett is the sort of next town. It's, it's one of the, the Hamptons, the fashionable Hamptons, but it's a little farther out and a little less fashionable. And that's where we shot Amagansett is where we shot the film. And we stayed quite comfortably at a yacht club in Montauk. This was in October, kind of the end of the season. Um, but there were certainly no, uh, uh, we were not uncomfortable, but we were very fast. We shot it very, very fast. And uh, They often say that movies aren't rehearsed. And one of the things actors like about theater is you do a table read, you rehearse it, it takes time. Is that true with this, or did did Michael treat it as if it were a play? No, there was no rehearsal. Uh, Michael, I think, is not is not uh, doesn't tend to rehearsal, but there certainly wasn't any, or 
you know, maybe the bit you have before you shoot something. But uh, I do love rehearsal in the theater, yes. Is that odd for you then, having done it on stage, to go in with no rehearsal? Oh, I've, I'm the one who, I mean, I knew it. I was, I was a, a leg up in that sense. I mean, the, this wonderful cast came together, and I think they're wonderful. But they were starting the way one usually starts a movie. You get there, and then you start shooting it. <laughs> and uh, but no, I, 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 I knew the play. I knew my lines, and there were, of course, some changes. But and often out of sequence, films can be shot out of. Sequence. Oh, this was certainly shot out of sequence. Yes. Mm -hmm. Was that tricky, given the nature of the material? No. No. So you just took it on board. Your appetite for work, Lois, seems unquenchable. Tell us about that. You've got, you were telling me before, you've got two plays coming up in New York. Do you have films and television things lined up? What, what's happening for you? I, I do have two plays that I'm getting ready to do. They're not very soon. One of them is in the spring, and one of them is the very beginning of the following season. Um, I have a little part in Lady Bird, which is a movie opening any minute. Um, Early November, I think, in, in the States. It's Greta Gerwig's first directing. Mm. Uh, Saoirse Ronan is the, is the leading actress. It's lovely. I, I play a, a nun, not for a little while. <laughs> uh, there's not another film that I'm about to do. I'm, go I'm going to be working hard on getting ready for these plays. Are you keen to work there, or do you sometimes think, I'd like I'm, to just sit back? You know, I'm keen to work. I've often said I love to work and I love to stop. And <laughs> that mostly means sometimes you work really hard and you get tired. And that's, so I'm not sorry when something ends often. But yes, I do have an appetite for work. Yeah. And I think one of the great things about your theater career, and this is an example of it, born out on film, is your appetite for new work. Because, of course, the thing with new work is you oh, don't know so how it's Oh, it's so exciting, new work. Mm. Yes. I, I, I used to think long ago, oh, what's more exciting, a, a new play or a, a classic? And I've had a little chance to do some classics, not lots. But it's hard, it's hard to answer that question. I guess new play is what I know more and has, have had an opportunity to do more. But, um, but the great thing about doing a classic is, in a certain way, they at best are done as though they're a new play. So each one is a beginning, and yet it has its history and aura. Yeah. Have you ever worked on the London stage prior to uh, the National? In the 1950s, I did a, a play that I had done in Broadway in New York called The Young and Beautiful, which was uh, written by Sally Benson and based on F. Scott Fitzgerald's stories, the Josephine stories, and the Basil stories. At that point, I think they had only been published in the um, Saturday Evening Post, but I think there later were collections of all of those stories. Uh, so that was 56, my guess is, about here. Wow. The, uh, the Arts Theater. Club. The Arts Theater, not far from here. What are some questions maybe somebody from the audience has about this? Oh, please, this, these people saw it. This I want to know what they have. What did you think? Lois is very keen to know how it landed. So, yes, that gentleman there, yes. Um, thank you. Um, in the scene you have between Gina Davis at night in the rain, the rain seems to be a metaphor for the difficulty of the 
mother-daughter relationship. Was it the rain, a happy accident, or cinematic engineering? Cinematic engineering, yes. Water's very much part of, of Michael's bringing to this to this film, yeah. The ocean and the rain and, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yes, there. Mm -hmm. Would you mind? Thanks. Hi, it was great. Um, thanks very much. Um, can you talk a bit more about the process of the adaptation from theatre to film? Because obviously you've done both. Um, you know, what were the differences between it on stage and it um, on film? You've you've said a few things already, but could you say more? Um. Uh, the the um, there is of course le there's a lot of text. I, I very much admire uh, the text Jordan Harrison's writing, and and by the time we did the movie, I'd been living with it for a long time. There's less, b but naturally, I think there is usually less text in a film, and this one has lots for a film. Um, but the difference between more between less words and more visual is it may be perfectly obvious that that's a, a big difference. Certainly, it's a big difference in this one between the play and the film. Um, Michael also extended the play in time. He extended the uh, the characters of the men more than the women. He extended uh, Walter Prime and John. They're both given scenes that were not in the play, and and more of a relationship and more more of a, more detail. The flashbacks, of course, are are not in the play. Uh, they were an addition. Um, those are the main things. I think I think that the movie is sadder than the play. Uh, it's sadder and slower. There, there is a. Uh, it's, I, I think that Jordan Harrison and Michael Amareda both had a wonderful wish and grasp for this. One wrote it, one adapted it, and directed it. But I think they have a very different tonal feeling about this material, and that's partly, I think, uh, carried out with Michael's extension of it in time. Uh, a great deal of music. Uh, there's very little music in uh, in the play. It, some music is Marjorie deals with music a little bit in one scene. Michael is very interested in the music in a film, and he was very interested in Marjorie having been a violinist and the sense of music for her, a classical music. Um, he, it was his invention. The uh, tension between Tess and Marjorie over kinds of music. Um, the scene, the second scene between Marjorie Prime and Tess, where the Dylan song is an important part of it, was Michael's addition that's not in the play. That's such an interesting answer, Lois. So then when you came time to do the play again in New York, did you miss some of that? You know, I don't think so. I knew what I was about to do. I'd been looking forward to it uh, 
preparing for it, and I'd done the play before. It's not as though I thought, oh, all these wonderful things, now they're gone. Uh, and also, this was a new production, a new director, half of a new cast from what I'd known before. So it was a new project. And uh, because my love for the play had not diminished, I had no problem of a feeling of loss. No, it's different, more. different but not. Yeah. We have time for maybe two or three more questions, yes. Hi, Lois. I'm I'm really interested in the uh, the nuance of um, the differences in performance because you know the, it's the uh, it's the same physical entity as far as um, the, the 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 audience is concerned, but obviously one's an android and the other's a a uh, someone that's suffering from from memory loss. And I I'm, I'm just interested in how you. Uh, distinguish between those performances in rehearsal and in, in preparation and how you, you manage to orchestrate the subtlety of the difference and the sort of the contents and variances of um, emotional incompleteness. It was such fun. I, I must we say, can tell, yes. I, I, I think that the the whole subject of the prime and being one. It was so much fun in getting to play Marjorie and Marjorie Prime. Um, well, they are, um, the given circumstances are different. Uh, uh, the prime is designed to be empathic, to listen well. It's still learning, uh, eager to learn, uh, but incomplete in certain ways, which are Obvious, sometimes obvious. Uh, so that those were the circum the given circumstances of of the uh, uh, of the prime, uh, and of course that's quite different from the given circumstances of the character. Um, at the same time, the prime has been programmed to personify, as it were, to embody. <laughs> the character. So it was a wonderful challenge. And I must say, talking with the various actors, including this cast, we, um, one of the jokes we used to make in, in the, uh, one of the stage productions, which, which we also talked about, it, talked about it with Gina uh, and the whole cast, about uh, Tess's, Tess Prime, we used to say, well, she's just out of the box. <laughs> and John Hamm loves to talk about the. He's often asked this, of course, and his um, his sense is that Walter Prime, the first one we know, and one who's been really pretty well put together and and programmed. We learn what the gaps are, etc. Um, the sense of learning, of becoming better at it, that was something he was very interested in. He was also very interested in the fact that in the film, which is what he did, uh, he appears as Walter as well. This is not true in the play. Uh, Walter Prime uh, is never seen as, as the living Walter. And that's what the flashback and the scene that Michael get, uh, wrote him is. So it's it, it, heaps of fun <coughs> to find, to find that, the answers that you asked about. I hope and <coughs> I hope enjoyable. To Absolutely. Watch. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I love watching the mic being passed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for a wonderful piece of work. 
Um, you make a distinction between the film and the stage play, saying that the film is sadder in many ways for you. And I'm just curious about the final shot, which remains with the three primes and almost nobody left to program anymore. So is that how this, having not seen or read the stage play, is that how the stage play ends as well? Yes. Because it's, it, there seems a deep sadness there that actually there are two things. Nobody left to prime the primers, the primes, and also that there's no closure for people that are left. Yes. Um, it is how the play ends. Um, in the script, uh, Jordan has written something like some lot of indication about that last scene. I've always felt leaving a lot up to the designer. He said maybe uh, they're in they're in the same place, and yet, you know, maybe the roof is gone. Maybe you see the stars. Maybe I mean, in the first production, uh, the designer chose to uh, the back of the room kind of disappeared, and in the dark. While music is playing, the entire set raised 18 feet in the air. So when the lights came back on and the last scene with the three primes is playing, it was uh, stark visually. There was nothing left but the, basically the chairs they were sitting in, the sofa and the chair. In the second uh, uh, stage production, the director chose in the the back upstage center was a, a table and chairs. The kitchen was up there. And in that production, um, also the kitchen disappeared. It wasn't in the dark. Oh, maybe there was a moment of darkness. But the three primes were around the table at the end. And in the course of the scene, the table made one slow pivot as the scene was played. And that was its, that designer and director's choice to interpret the playwright's words. Michael Almereda chose the ocean as the backdrop, um, and as was a, a kind of sense of eternity, I think, in, 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 the, uh, in the play. Um, let me think, you, you wanted to know Ah, your question made me think about something that's always been part of reactions I've heard. The end of the play left some people comforted, you know, a, a, a lively interest in it, and other people absolutely uh, horrified, uh, creeped out by it. It seems to me that both... Uh, that both things are present, and we each make our, <laughs> we each have our reaction. Um, I don't know what more to say. It's left that way. It, is it, how much time has gone by? That's not clear. Are there any people left? That's not clear. Uh, it, you know, I don't know. Thank you. 
Any other questions? One thing, it occurred to me, Lois, that must have been quite fun for you about the movie is that you could see the, the performance. You could see the entirety of it. <laughs> when you're in it's a play, true. you can't see you it. You don't see it. That's right. It's a big difference. It really is. So you actually knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just different. You, you never see yourself when you perform on stage. And you can, if you wish, when you perform in a movie. Well, we're very glad to have had the experience of seeing you across both media for many decades. And thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.